If you enjoy our podcast, please consider supporting Glass Tire. All of the money we raise, since we are a nonprofit, goes right back into our coverage of Texas's art and artists. Our coverage is supported thanks to readers and listeners like you. If you would like to contribute, you can do so at glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hello, and welcome to Art Dirt. This is the Glass Tire podcast where we talk about topical art topics. I'm William Saradet. I'm Jessica Fuentes. And we are here today to follow up on the last discussion that Jessica and I had on Art Dirt um, about a month ago, which was us recounting the people that we met during a long explorative trip to South Texas. Um, as we described on that episode, we started in Laredo and traveled eastward following the border until we reached the Gulf Coast region, um, at which point we traveled north a little bit to Corpus until we ended our trip in Rockport. And in that episode, as I mentioned, we, we kind of discussed the people we met. And on this second episode, we are going to talk a little bit more about the art that we saw. This includes a lot of exhibitions, uh, some in museums, some in nonprofit spaces and cultural centers. And there were also a couple of cultural events, like the Art Walk in Harlingen, which features a big, long uh, central downtown avenue covered in vendors, as well as uh, some exciting studios that you can visit when you walk off the strip. And so Jessica, if we think about this trip from start to finish, we started in Laredo and were met by Gil Rocha in his studio, along with Maritza Batista. Um, and we spent a little bit of time in his studio. We took a couple pictures, we posed for um, some selfies. And his studio was very just filled with stuff. It was kind of an old warehouse in Laredo. I didn't notice a particular uh, consistency or like organizational theme in the way his studio was operating. It was a lot of stuff paired with other stuff attached to other stuff. Um, just kind of like being inside the mind of an artist a little bit. And that was really kind of our first introduction to the visual creative output of this region that we visited. Yeah, it was a really surprising experience. Um, I think in part because his space was just so large. His space was was much larger than I had expected. Um, it was a, a long, narrow warehouse type space. And as you described, it was just filled with so many different kinds of things. At that point, I hadn't seen Hill's work in person. Um, but since our trip, it's been really exciting to see his work in galleries as well. Um, so currently he's part of the Soy de Tejas show at Centro de Artes in San Antonio. Um, and he also is part of a two-person show here in Fort Worth at Arts Fort Worth. So now reflecting back on being in his studio space 
it gives me a different understanding for his process um, and for the work that I've seen on view. Yeah, I was excited to see in recent weeks uh, that show at Arts Fort Worth be announced. It was kind of like we were getting the opportunity to see uh, the work before it's kind of posted to the wall, posted in the gallery. And fortunately for us, Hill and his cohort came up here to show that at Arts Fort Worth. So we all we all get to see it. And we definitely encourage you to travel out to see that show. Another studio that we were able to visit was Camino's Studios in Harlingen. And um, Jessica, I know you had kind of made plans as we were preparing for the trip to go see Rachel Camino's. Uh, so we visited Harlingen on a Friday when they were doing their art walk. And that was obviously great because you get to kind of see both the artists and kind of just the local street goers, people that are outside on a lovely Friday evening just enjoying their day. Um, But also alongside that big presentation of vendors is uh, the old hotel that Alex and Rachel Caminos are renovating um, just a couple blocks down from where Art Walk Harlingen happens. And Alex Caminos is a sculptor. Rachel Caminos works in fabric works, sculpture. And that was a cool visit because the sort of central, what would be like the lobby of the hotel was formally set up like in a, in a traditional exhibition style of works on the wall by Rachel and then sculptures on plinths by Alex. Um, by comparison, Rachel's studio was like highly meticulously organized. She was pulling out drawers and boxes of spools of yarn. Um, she was showing us her different like scissors and cutting implements how she shaves down these tufted textile pieces. So we kind of got to see on that night in Harlingen um, a really nice broad presentation of what art is like down there, both the street vendors that are selling like candles and ceramics and shirts and pins and stickers, as well as at Camino Studio, two prolific Texas artists, both... um, kind of in the mess in the back on the offside of the of their domicile space, as well as a formal presentation of their work as they would prepare it for an exhibition showing. Was there anything surprising to you about walking through Alex and Rachel's space? I mean, I think every single thing about it was surprising, honestly. Um, it was very large. Uh it's an old hotel, I want to say built in 1920, um, definitely around that time. It's it's 100 years old, and it looks like it. They had some original, like, desks, candelabras. Uh, I have pictures from our visit of, uh, there was a room full of springform mattresses that were, I think, original to the hotel. Um so both the like the fact that two working artists decided to settle in Harlingen, 
I think they originally, both Rachel and Alex, kind of got their start in San Antonio, or at least they have roots in San Antonio, but they've left and relocated to Harlingen, uh, which is much smaller. It looks much different than San Antonio. Um, yeah, the, the whole experience was really kind of astounding, and it was super cool. Oh, and actually, all this talk about studios reminds me that we were able to visit both K-Space Contemporary in Corpus Christi, as well as uh, K-Space Studios. Um, and those are formally separate entities, but they exist in the same building. Uh, and so we were able to go upstairs and see the studios with a few of the resident artists present. Um, and Jessica, you actually published a piece about that experience. Yeah, that experience was really unique. Um, again, being able to see artist studios and learn a little bit about the history of the space that's been around for a few decades now um, and seeing it kind of come to life with the artists present, um, getting to witness their community space and um, their relationships to each other um, was was really a special opportunity. You know, it's like we saw Hill's studio, which is very much his studio, just a one-person studio. Then we saw um, Alex and Rachel's uh, a couple studio, and we kind of saw how they worked together in their dynamic. But then kind of K-Space was this opportunity to see like an even broader community of local artists coming together and sharing space and uplifting each other, supporting each other, being champions for each other, um, and being there to run ideas by each other or get feedback as they're in progress working. So it, it was really nice throughout the trip to see each of these different kinds of spaces. Yeah, when we visited K-Space Studios, um, Katie Arnold and Letitia Gomez were both in their spaces, which are adjacent to each other. And I really got a sense that they both really cherished having the space to make work um, in their local community, but also they really seemed to riff off of each other and enjoy having that kind of studio mate scenario, um, which I was admittedly like a little jealous of. It's, it's hard to get space in a central location for a decent price with people that you really mesh well with. That's a lot of variables uh, that are, I think, can be difficult to find in, say, DFW. Yeah, as a former member of 500X Gallery, that's something that I always wished that 500X had. And at the time that I was a member, it was in a space where there were apartments um, in the same building. So ideally, it could have been nice to have studio spaces there as well. But ultimately, it was a space where we were able to come together and show art and support each other, but not, not in the same way where you're able to work side by side with someone. Right. At the old 500X on Exposition Street, um, 
where it was formerly. It's currently on Fabrication Street on the west side of Dallas. Um, in the old building, 500X really functioned, what, like one night out of the month when you're having receptions. I suppose you could walk through the building and set up appointments to see the work, but um, that's a little different from a building that is just rentable studio spaces 24-7 that people can go and work in. So maybe we can shift to some of the more formal exhibition experiences we had in South Texas, uh, perhaps starting with K-Space Contemporary downstairs from the artist studios. They were having their Mid-South Sculpture Alliance Scholarship exhibition as alongside the 2023 Members Only exhibition. And so the Members Only show is what it sounds like. It's members of K-Space Contemporary submitting work that's done recently, I want to say in the last, within the last two years, um, preferably that they haven't shown before, at least at K-Space. And again, we were kind of lucky to get to be at K-Space when they were doing their members show because it gives someone who's visiting Corpus for the first time a nice, almost like a survey of the type of work that's being made in the area. We saw some works by Chad Ray, who uh, also is exhibiting in Texas right now. Did anything stand out to you um, in Corpus, Jessica? One of the things that I really liked about K-Space Contemporary shows that we had the chance to see was the pairing of the members only show, which I assume would be local and regional artists with the Mid-South Sculpture Alliance Scholarship Artist Show, which included artists from surrounding areas outside of the state of Texas as well. I think outside of K-Space Contemporary, Going to see the Art Museum of South Texas was a huge moment in the trip for me. I'd never been to most of the places that we visited on the trip, but having worked in museums previously, the Art Museum of South Texas was definitely a space I was really looking forward to seeing. And I was blown away by the blow up to exhibition that we got to see. It was a really interesting presentation of works that, uh, I would almost designate as like a subset of uh, art relying on textile as a medium. You've got to pattern these things out. You have to sew them together, but then you have to imbue them with air, which is where perhaps they become different types of work than just say generally talking about textile art. Some of the works felt kind of monumental. Some of them were a little kinetic, uh, not just in the fact that they're constantly being animated with air, but um, at least one of the works was kind of intended to sort of inflate and deflate and move arms. It was like a gecko on a wall. Another work was two humanoid figures kind of connected at the mouth and they're standing, it's suspended in air And they're being inflated and kind of deflated. And so you see the bodies moving in tandem. Uh, Yeah, it was such an interesting presentation and one that I I don't think that I've 
seen in any other museum uh, an exhibition devoted solely to inflatable works. But it did have a nice connection to our panhandle trip where we saw a similar work by Friends With You at the Amarillo Museum of Art. And one of my favorite things about traveling around Texas and going to different art museums and art galleries is being able to see either the same work in different spaces or works by the same artist in different spaces. Because each space that you're in adds to the context and the perception of the work and can really change the way that you view it. Our visit to the Art Museum of South Texas was possibly the highest concentration of exhibitions we saw in one setting, in one instance. And that's because the museum is quite large and they've got permanent collections, contemporary galleries. Um, There's, I mean, they really have stuff hung just all over that space. The terraces we mentioned in the last episode, which were originally designed to hold plants, some of them have rather large sculptures. Uh, We saw Dorothy Hood, Pen and Ink on Paper, which opened in January. And that was a really beautiful collection of kind of minimal ink drawings on uh, gray modeled paper stock. I think they were introduced to us as kind of automatic drawings. They often reveal part of a recognizable form, but they kind of dissolve into scribbles. And the there's a little bit of low contrast of the black ink on the gray paper. And I hadn't seen work like that from Dorothy Hood up until that point. Yeah, there was a lot of great stuff to see at the museum. I also enjoyed that Dorothy Hood exhibition. And... I loved learning about the collaboration between the museum and one of the local colleges where one of the professors is teaching a professional practices course. Um, And so the students in his class had the opportunity to learn how to build museum quality frames and to help with the installation of the show. Um, I love those types of opportunities for emerging artists. I think it really helps provide some insight into not only the processes that are required in displaying your work, but also in the potential job opportunities in the field once you're out of school. And I think one of the smaller shows in the museum that stuck with me was Expressions in Wood from the Permanent Collection. Um, It was, you know, just a a nook of a space, um, but had a nice array of mostly decorative arts pieces, um, a fun kind of funky chair, um, some vases and and small tabletop sculptures. But it was interesting to look at one medium, wood, and see how different artists over time have approached that and the various ways that it can be worked. Yes, that exhibition was kind of just like a little enclave gallery attached to the main gallery that hosted the Blow Up 2 Inflatable Contemporary Art Exhibition at the Art Museum of South Texas. And um, Jessica, I have the image 
pulled up. I think you're talking about it's a wooden carved chair uh, made out of where all of the different appendices of the chair are vegetables. So there's chilies that are kind of scaffolding the back of the chair. The back legs look like they're made of uh, either some kind of chive or celery, and the front legs are both carrots. And I, it was so charming. That show was a great, wonderful, just a little something to the side to focus on a medium and show what the museum has and what it can what it can show off. They had a similar kind of approach to presenting contemporary glass as you transition from walking from the contemporary art galleries into the older part of the building, which has some permanent galleries in it. Uh, yeah, I, it was just all of the all of the work was presented in a way that kind of gives the viewer a little bit of context for the legacy of different mediums um, and what the museum has been able to collect. So the Art Museum of South Texas had a gallery of Spanish colonial work. Um, and I don't want to say that was like a theme at the museums in the entire region, but there was kind of a repeating uh, focus on pre-Columbian and colonial Spanish art. So in McAllen, they have a permanent gallery of their collection of like Latin folk art objects, some of which would be, I'll I'll say vintage. They're not exactly (laughs) pre-Columbian. They're they're more recent than that. Um, But that was really cool to see at the International Museum of Art and Science in McAllen um, alongside their contemporary exhibitions. And so on the last episode, we mentioned Monica Chang's solo painting show a little bit, as well as Life in One Cubic Foot, which was a Smithsonian exhibition that kind of uses marine photography to illustrate how much, like how many living organisms are within one cubic foot of many different bioregions. It was nice to see a dedicated space that focused on folk art. I think a lot of times when people think about museums, they think about more traditional forms of art, like oil paintings and marble sculptures. And sometimes the idea of folk art can get lost even though it is an art form that many people encounter in their daily lives. Um, For example, some of the masks that we saw on view in the folk art exhibition were very similar to masks that we saw in one of the artist studios at K-Space. I think something that kept surprising me while we were traveling across the region was the ways in which Um, a lot of these spaces and institutions had surprising amenities that I just wouldn't have thought about. Uh, And Jessica, I think you were pretty enthralled at some of the programming and the facilities that IMAS had to offer. As somebody who 
worked at the Dallas Museum of Art and the Center for Creative Connections, which is a very hands-on gallery space um, for people of all ages. I am always surprised when other museums, when other art museums have spaces like that. It is much more common to find something like that in a science museum or a history museum. And maybe because IMAS straddles art and science, they were more likely to have a space like that. But they had several educational spaces, including kind of just like a, a drop-in space where kids and families could learn about and experiment um, with different ideas and themes that relate both to art and science. But beyond that kind of drop-in space, they also had studio spaces, um, some which were in use by groups while we were there, and others which were open to the public. They had this, like, little, not a gallery, it was a educational space, and it was set up to kind of walk young people through uh, just general notions around nutrition, food preparation, and kind of like grocery shopping. That that description is a little dry because it was so colorful and cute. And you could tell that they had put a lot of work into it because I think most of that space was like custom fabricated, um, even to the point that they had a little grocery store checkout lane counter and they had like a custom interface built on the like iPad housed within the unit that would emulate a checkout. Uh, But it's, you know, it's for small children. So it's like there's big buttons with vegetables and like number values and you beep boop and like get your food and go. It was so it was so cute. Um, And yeah, I just thought like that must be such a nice educational play space for the young students in that community that are going through the museum. Yeah, and I I have seen in science museums similar spaces that are kind of like a grocery store checkout. But what I really loved about this is it was called Seed to Table. Um, And so it took children through the process of planting and picking and all the way to the grocery store. Um, So there was this really fun interactive piece that looks like... um, rows of dirt that you can pick uh, carrots and different vegetables out of and then trees painted on the wall with cubbies where you could pull oranges down from. The little garden plot you're describing Jessica was also one of my favorite things. It was such an ingenious like analog to um, having like a real plot of dirt and vegetables which of course would be educational but a little hard to prepare for groups and groups of small children inside of a museum, no less. Um, And the way that they had converted that experience to like vinyl and little plastic objects was honestly, it kind of felt like an art object in itself. I was, I was so impressed. Another exciting exhibition viewing experience we had was at the Rockport Center for the Arts new building, uh, their brand new shiny white building. And um, 
while we were there, they opened the Birds and Art exhibition. Uh, And that is actually an annual internationally curated exhibit, which is organized every year by the Lee Yockey Woodson Art Museum in Wausau, Wisconsin. Um, And so this is a special show because it's an international show of non-photographic works depicting or featuring birds. Um, And so Rockport is on the Gulf, and they certainly had some, you know, seafaring birds in the artworks on view. But also, because this show is so, uh, like, anticipated every year, and it's pretty competitive to get in to exhibit in the show, the Rockport Center for the Arts actually had to wait a while to get approved to exhibit the show and then even when they did when they got all the way down the wait list and they made it to uh, become the exhibiting venue COVID hit and so it's it's kind of even longer coming than it was supposed to be in the first place Um, and it is on view through mid late April so you've definitely got time to view it if you can make it down to Rockport. So I guess for me, I was surprised about the Birds and Art exhibition at Rockport Center for the Arts. When I initially heard the name of the show, I kind of thought that it might be a standard exhibition of paintings, watercolors, and drawings of birds and trees and nature. And to be fair, there was some of that. But there were also some really surprising pieces. One of my favorites was a photorealistic painting of a small red bird seated at the bottom of a row of grocery carts. Just seeing these kind of moments um, of where we see birds in our everyday lives was interesting to me. Birds and Art at the Rockport Center for the Arts sounds like a local show that Rockport might put on given the large presence of plain air painters in the in the area. Um, so I was like pleasantly surprised when I found out this is actually like an internationally very sought after show, both for venues to show it as well as people to get their work in the show and there's a quite a wide variety of painting techniques and styles shown um there was one that was like made using fumography uh basically you're singeing or smoking the surface of the substrate to get uh tone out of the smoke And that was just totally incredible. And with that, we thank you for listening to this episode of Art Dirt. We'll be back in a couple weeks with another episode. In the meantime, we recommend that you take a look at our statewide art events calendar on our site and go see some art. Go see some art. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2023.